It is my privilege to be with you. I think I got power. Do I have power, fellas? Good. Hope we got Holy Ghost power too, right? But like a little of both. That's good. This is my new favorite church. I want you to know that for a couple of reasons. One, our dear brother brought me Cuban coffee right here on the front row a minute ago. So if I speak with much more enthusiasm this morning, you're going to know why. I got high octane in me. That's one of my favorite things. And I've never walked to the pulpit before and found a Snickers bar laying here. This is really good. And so I'm enjoying being with your church. We had a sweet time together last night. Thank God for it. And I've been looking forward to this meeting and praying for you and praying that God will speak to all of us. I want God to speak to me. How many of you want God to speak to you? Amen. Let's ask the Lord to do that. Father, give us spiritual understanding now. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. We'll praise you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to open your Bible with me, if you will, please, in the Old Testament to the Psalms. This is course, the favorite book of many people. Uh, interestingly enough, in our uh, daily podcast that we do, I'm getting ready to start a new series, and we're going to walk through every psalm. I'm really excited about it, 150 episodes. And uh, I want to draw your attention to one psalm, and we're going to camp here. So if you want to use your Bible marker, mark it in your Bible, you'll be ahead of the game because this is where we're going to be for the next couple of days. I want you to find Psalm 51. Some of you knew that already because you were in the meeting last night, and I'm glad. We began our meeting looking at really the setting for this particular psalm, which is the fact that David had sinned and committed adultery with Bathsheba, and uh, Nathan, the preacher, showed up at his house, tells him a story. David gets pretty worked up about it, and then the preacher turns around. Don't you hate it when the Lord turns things around on you? Just when you're about ready to straighten everybody else out. And then the Lord says, Thou art the man. David says, I've sinned against the Lord. Well, Psalm 51 is, if I may say, the result of that experience. It is what grew out of that interaction, not just with the preacher, but with the Lord. Psalm 51 is an amazing psalm. Now, we're going to read a portion of it in a moment, but look at me for just a second. Let me tell you something interesting about Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is both the Word of God and a prayer to God. Now, let that sink in just a moment. How many of you believe all Scripture is given by inspiration of God? Yes? So every word is from God. Every word is profitable. Every word inspired. This is the very word of God to us. So in that sense, it's God speaking to me. Lord, speak to me. Psalm 51 has got a lot to say. We're going to walk through it and unpack what God says to us in Psalm 51. But I want to challenge you to do more than read it. I want to challenge you to do more than study it. I want to challenge you to pray it. I want to challenge you to use Psalm 51 like David wrote Psalm 51. See, I don't think when David wrote Psalm 51, he was thinking about you. I don't think when David wrote Psalm 51, he was thinking about me. I don't think when David wrote Psalm 51, he was thinking about anybody but himself and the Lord. Psalm 51 is holy ground. you got to and take your shoes off, spiritually speaking, because you're entering the prayer closet. You're entering the throne room of Almighty God. And you're entering the secret place with David when he communes with God. And I want to challenge you to use Psalm 51, if I may say it this way, as a prayer template this week for you to talk to God, to bear your own soul to the Lord. So with that in mind, look at Psalm 51, beginning in verse number 1, where David prays, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me throughly from mine iniquity. By the way, may I just pause a moment? That little word throughly is a fascinating word. You know what it means? It means again and again. How many of you have been saved for a little while? Would you raise your hand? How many of you have been saved long enough to know we get dirty again and again? You think at some point you're going to get it all figured out, right? At some point, I'm not going to commit that sin anymore. I'm not going to think that way anymore. I'm not going to say that again. And then we have to come back to the Lord and say, oh, Lord, it's me again. I blew it again. How many of you are glad for a God who cleanses us again and again? Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. By the way, that's an exact quote from the scripture we read last night. Do you remember what David said to Nathan? He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Now he says it in his prayer, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil on thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. I'm going to say something. When I say it, you say the next thing that comes to your mind. Ready? I know this is dangerous in church, but we're going to try it, all right? I'm going to say something. You say the next thing that comes to your mind. Daniel and the... Mm, that's interesting. David and... You know, interestingly enough, when I say David's name, two names come to my mind. Mm -hmm. David and Goliath. David and Bathsheba. Isn't it unique... The two things David is most remembered for is his greatest success and his greatest failure. And in life, what people remember about you are the highs and the lows. The Goliaths, the great things that God used you to accomplish, and then, God forbid, the Bathshebas, the low moments, the valleys where you failed God and forgot where you were supposed to be with the Lord. Yet I want to suggest to you that Psalm 51 is not about David and Goliath. And it may surprise you to know it is actually not even about David and Bathsheba. In fact, when you read Psalm 51, this is powerful to me. If you see the title, everybody look just above verse 1. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he'd gone into Bathsheba. So this is after Bathsheba. And I mean, look, he's just committed adultery. He's lied to cover it up. He killed an innocent man. Think about all the sin. And yet when you read Psalm 51, there is no mention of Bathsheba. There is no mention of Uriah. There is no mention of the baby. And there is no mention of Nathan the preacher. Now, why would that be? You know, God speaks as much sometimes by what he does not say as by what he does say. What, what is the emphasis of Psalm 51? Oh, I love this. Watch, please. If you can ever get here, if you can ever get here, this is a liberating thing in your Christian experience. Watch. All of Psalm 51 Everyone has faded away. Everyone is moved out of sight. And the only two people in Psalm 51 are David and God. And I tell you, if you can ever get your Christian experience down to just you and the Lord, then you have discovered how to not only get right with God, but how to stay right with God. Let me prove to you what I'm talking about. 
When I stop, every time I stop, you say the next word. Have your pen in hand. I want you to mark them in your Bible. Would you do this? I'm going to prove this to you. Look at verse number one again. I'm reading the same verses, but this time, every time I pause, you say the next word and mark it in your Bible. Ready? Here we go. Verse one, have mercy upon, oh God, according to loving kindness, according unto the multitude of tender mercies, blot out transgressions, wash throughly from and cleanse from sin. For I acknowledge transgressions and sin is ever before me. Against, what's the next word? Only have what? Sinned and done this evil in sight. That mightest be justified when speakest. And be clear when judgest. Verse 5, behold was shapen in iniquity and in sin did mother conceive behold desirous truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part what shall make who to know wisdom how many of you are getting the picture it's just watch this please me and thee me and thee lord me and thee pardon me it is not me and the preacher it is not me and my spouse it is not me and the person that did me wrong it is not even me and the person I sinned against. It is not me and the person I sinned with. No, Lord. No, Lord. In the end, sin is one thing. Sin is my disobedience to God alone. It doesn't say, against Bathsheba have I done this. Against Uriah have I done this. Against this child have I done this. Against Nathan have I done this. Against the children of Israel have I done this. Against my family have I done this. No, Lord. Against thee and thee only. We begin here this morning because I want to talk to you in this first hour today about getting personal with God. You know, God is a personal God. Aren't you glad for that? The funny thing about the Lord is the Lord always gets personal with us. <laughs> the Lord gets real specific. And one of the things that really thrills me preaching revival meetings is I go into places where I don't know anybody. And I preach just simple Bible messages from the Word of God. And somehow, amazingly, in a place where I don't know anybody and do not know the spiritual needs and do not ask the pastor because I don't want him to tell me anything, and all I'm doing is just preaching the Bible, is that the Holy Spirit has a way of connecting His truth to people's lives and meeting very definite needs. Why is that? Because our God is a personal God. He knows you. He meets you right where you are. And praise God, he doesn't leave you there. He leads you to where he wants you to be. Now, on the flip of that, if God's a personal God, guess what he wants from us? He wants us to get personal with him. Sometimes we become really good professional Christians. We dress up good for Sunday school. Everybody looks nice today. And we carry our Bibles and we sing our hymns and we say our amen, hallelujahs, and we pat each other on the back. God bless you, brother. We say all the right things, but beneath the surface, We've not really gotten personal with God. Uh, my pastor, the pastor that trained your pastor and I many years ago, used to be fond of saying this. He said, nothing is real until it is personal. And did you know that nothing we talk about this week is going to be real to you until it gets very personal in your own life? Watch, please. It is not David and Goliath. It is not David and Bathsheba. It is David and God. 
And I want to say to you, if we want to have a revival meeting, I'm talking about a real spiritual awakening this week, and we want our lives to be different. You've got to remove everybody else, and you've got to remove all the other circumstances. You've got to get everything out of the way, and you've got to get personal and get real with just you and God. What does God want to show us? Well, let's walk through the verses, and let me show you two or three things that God is showing me. Now, maybe, maybe you're not here, but let me just tell you, when I read Psalm 51, I see me. Isn't it funny, honestly, isn't it funny how we read the Bible sometimes and ourselves seem so separate from it? You know what we do? We use the Bible like a microscope to pick everybody else apart. But God never said the Bible was a microscope. He said it was a what? A mirror. Why would that be? Because when you come to the Bible, you don't use the Bible to see everybody else's faults and failures and flaws. No, no. You use the Bible as a mirror to show you in the light of who God is the great spiritual need of your own life. I'm just going to tell you today that my need is great. I need the Lord. And so here's the first thing God shows us in the mirror of his word. Would you write it down? Number one, God wants us to see our need. Our need. Sometimes our greatest need is just to see our need. Nobody really prays and seeks the Lord until they realize how desperately they need Him. And what is your great need, David? What is our great need? Well, it's introduced on the first line of the psalm. Everybody look at verse number 1. Have mercy upon me, O God. Would you do this? Would you underline the word mercy and would you underline the word me? And connect those two in your Bible. Let me tell you what I need today. I need mercy. I need mercy. I don't need mercy as a preacher. I need mercy as a Christian. Somebody says, this man is an evangelist. No, let me tell you what this man is. Would you like to know what this man is? This man is a sinner. He's a sinner. And you can be a dressed-up sinner. You can be a dressed-up sinner preaching to everybody else. But in reality, we're all just black-hearted, hell-deserving sinners. And if any one of us got what we deserved, we'd all be in hell this morning. Praise God, we're not in hell. Aren't you glad for that? And if you know Jesus, you're never going to hell. Why is that? Because of what? Mercy. Again, I tell you, mercy is not just what you need when you get saved. Mercy is what you need every day of your life. I need a fresh dose of the mercy of God this day. Let's take a church survey. How many of you need mercy? Would you raise your hand? All right, then your greatest need is not something. It is someone. It is the Lord himself. He is the God of all mercy. Look at verse number 1. He gives us two little word pictures. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness and according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. So, Notice that little word, according to, according to. He says, let me tell you where the mercy comes from. First of all, it comes from God's loving kindness. That's a word we don't use a lot, isn't it? Loving kindness. You know what loving kindness is? I think it is the collision of two of the most beautiful words in all the world. Love and kindness. How many of you know our hateful, harsh world needs a little more loving kindness? Well, let me tell you where it comes from. It comes from the God who is love and the God who is always kind. So God says, I'm going to show you my loving kindness. And I want to just pause and say, thank you, Jesus, because I need loving kindness today. And then, I love this, look at the end of the verse. He says, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Now, why, why say not just mercy, but multitude of thy tender mercies? Did it ever dawn on you David was overwhelmed with his sin? Sin was great. Coming at him from every angle. 
from every angle. He's going to pay a fourfold price from it, and he's overwhelmed and overcome with his sin. By the way, the same psalmist would later write, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Watch this, please. There is one thing greater than my sin. Do you know what it is? It is the mercy of Jesus Christ. Old Richard Sibbs, that old Puritan, wrote, and I love this statement. He said, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Think on that just a moment. I can't speak for you because I don't know you, but let me tell you about me. There's a whole lot of sin in me. I'm a very good sinner. Anybody else a very good sinner? I've had a lot of practice, you know. There's a lot of sin in me. But praise his holy name, there is mercy in him. Watch where sin abounds, grace does what? Much more abound. Now, let me show you something really wonderful. Everybody put your eyes on verse number one. He said, my great need is mercy, and the mercy is connected to God's loving kindness and God's tender mercies. Now, remember those two things, loving kindness, tender mercy. Loving kindness, tender mercy. Say it, would you please? Loving kindness, tender mercy. Turn and tell your neighbor. What are the two things? Loving kindness, tender mercy. No, no, I want you to say it with enthusiasm. Ready? Here we go. Loving kindness, Tender mercies. Now hold your place in Psalm 51. Turn to Psalm 92 with me just a second. I'm going to show you something that will rejoice your heart. Matter of fact, I was sitting in my hotel room this morning looking at this, and I started laughing to myself. If you had seen me, you thought I'd lost my mind, but I hadn't. I found something wonderful. Look at Psalm 92. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy what? All right, now what was the first thing we needed in Psalm 51? Loving kindness. And what do we find in Psalm 92, verse 2? Loving kindness. Now watch this. In the what? In the morning. Wait a minute. God says, I'm going to connect my loving kindness to the morning. Stay with me. Everybody with me? How many of you are still with me? Yes? Turn over to Lamentations with me just a second. Lamentations. I, I know that's not a place we go often, but I promise you it's in your Bible, all right? It's where the pages still stick together. You're going to find it shortly. Just keep moving to the right. And you'd think in a book as sad as a title like Lamentations, a funeral dirge, it'd all be depressing. But it's not because right in the middle of it there's light. Look at Lamentations 3 and verse 22. It is of the Lord's what? Mercies. Now, wait a minute. The first thing we needed was what? Loving kindness. The next thing we need is God's what? Tender mercies. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new. What's it say, church? Wait a minute. His loving kindness comes when? In the morning. His tender mercies are new when? Every morning. When he says, great is thy faithfulness. I'm just going to pause and say amen. Praise God to that. But now watch this, please. God connects his loving kindness and his tender mercies to the morning. Why would that be? Do you know what the morning is? The morning is a fresh start. The morning is is a new beginning. The morning is the time when yesterday is behind you and the dark hours have faded away. Let me tell you something wonderful about our God. Our God is the God of new beginnings. Listen to me. With God, it's always morning. How many of you ever have nighttime hours? I'm talking about not just when you go to sleep. I mean spiritually. You ever have dark hours? You ever have moments when the shadows of your own sin haunt you? You ever have moments when, when your own difficulty seems to creep over you and you say, Dear Lord, where's the light in all of this? Hear me. With God, it is always morning. And if you can just get to the Lord, guess what you find? Loving kindness and tender mercies. 
You may feel stale today, but I got good news for you. My God is perennially fresh. You may feel like you've been in a great nighttime season of life, but I want you to know God will give you the mercy you need to have a new beginning. So go back with me to Psalm 51. I'll show you a second truth. God not only wants you to see your need, but secondly, would you write this down? God wants you to see your nature. This is where it gets ugly. I'll just warn you. This is where it gets ugly. Because we like to think of ourselves as good people. But the Bible says there's none that doeth good. No, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. There's none righteous. None means what? None. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all means what? Somebody said all means all. And that's all all means. That's exactly right. So you may be on any any part of the sin spectrum, but you're still just a sinner by nature. So look at verse number 2. He says, wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Would you do this? There are three words that God uses to describe our nature. Did you see the three words? They're all connected, but they're all unique. Mark them in your Bible. Here's the first one. In verse number 2, he uses the word iniquity. Then, again in verse 2 and in verse 3, he uses the word sin. That's the word we use most often. And in verse 3, he uses the word transgressions. You ever wonder why he uses different words for the same thing? Because they all picture a different part of our nature. And interestingly enough, I'm not an artist, but if I had a board up here this morning, I could, I could draw it for you. Each one of them is connected to a line. Let me show you what I mean. Do you know what the word iniquity means? The word iniquity means to be crooked. So you could imagine that iniquity is represented by a crooked line. In other words, they get a guy out of his car and they say, we, we won't know whether you've been drinking or not, so we want you to what? Walk the what? Right, walk the line. See if they can walk a straight line. And when a man starts doing this, guess what they know? Right. He's under the influence of something else. Watch, please. He can't walk the straight line. He's walking in a crooked way. Watch this. The line is God's perfect standard. It is his nature. It is his law. And God says, measure yourself not by the way you used to be or the way somebody else is or what you can get by with. Measure yourself by the only line that matters, which is God's law. And guess what you're going to find out? You're going to find out maybe you're not as bad as somebody else, but you're going to find out you're much more crooked than what you ought to be. That's iniquity. You ready for the dirty secret? We're all crooks. That's what we are. Somebody said, that man's a crook. Wait a minute. We're all crooked because that's our nature. Then he uses the word sin, all right? If iniquity is to draw a crooked line, what is sin? It is to fall short of the line. Sin literally means to come short of. Watch, here's God's line. It's perfect standard. And guess what? We don't meet it. We may try. You could get baptized a hundred times and never meet it. You could join every church in town. You could turn over a new leaf every year and try to be a better man or be a better woman. But apart from Jesus, you never touch the line of God's perfect righteousness and holiness because all of us are sinners by nature. And then he uses the word transgression. On our property in West Virginia, on our farm, my dad has in certain places signs that say no. Anybody know what it says? Right, no trespassing. In other words, don't you cross that line. That, that doesn't belong to you. That's not your property. 
Do you know what a transgression is? To transgress is to trespass. Watch, if iniquity is to draw a crooked line and to sin is to fall short of the line, then to trespass or transgress is to go over the line. God says there's things you should not do. And guess what we do? You know what we do. We step right over it. Funny thing, we were living in Knoxville. Our kids wanted, wanted to have a dog, and so we were living in a subdivision. And so I said, well, we're going to have a dog. We've got to have a fence. And so one of our mutual friends helped me build a, a fence behind the house. And it was nice. It was a privacy fence, and we worked real hard on it. And we stained it and put up a nice gate on it. It was beautiful, wonderful. And do you know what happened after I built that fence? The kids never wanted to play in the backyard again. No, they want to play in the front yard and out in the street. And the other crazy thing was we got a dog and put him in the backyard. And guess what that crazy dog did? He kept digging holes under the fence. Why is it? Because there's something in all of our nature that says there's something on the other side I'm missing out on. There's something across that line that I've never had before that I really need to try. What is that? That is our old sin nature. And David said, what I've come to understand is that my heart is worse than I thought it was. Do you know the name Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor was the famous missionary to China. Started the China Inland Mission. He was a man greatly used of God. He'd been on the mission field for some period of time, and he wrote a letter home to his sister, and in his letter, here's what he said. He said, I never knew how bad a heart I had. Wait a minute, this is a preacher, a missionary, a pioneer, and he's riding home from the mission field. Instead of talking about all he's accomplishing, he's saying to his sister, I'm getting more and more acquainted with how sinful my heart is. What does the Scripture say? That the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then here's the question, who can know it? Did you know the next verse answers that question? The next verse, God says, I, the Lord, try the hearts. See, I can't know how sinful your heart is. And you don't know how sinful my heart is, but God knows every last one of us. See, he sees you like you are. Isn't it ironic that it was also in David's life when he was just a boy that God would say, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Listen, that's not just a comfort, that's also a conviction. Because later in life, David the king still looked pretty good like he had it all together, but beneath the surface there was iniquity and there was transgression and there was sin. Dear Lord, help me never forget that I cannot trust myself. I can only trust you. I find myself fickle and changing. Do you ever find yourself that way? One moment feeling very spiritual and the next very fleshly. Isn't it funny how we can be in church and feel so close to God and get in the car and start fussing? Isn't that an amazing thing? Isn't it an amazing thing how we can read the Bible and pray and feel so near the Lord and then turn right around and have the most awful thoughts? Somebody says, how is that possible? There must be something wrong with me. There he is. You're a sinner. That's why Jesus came. That's why you need mercy. As a matter of fact, now this is really interesting to me. Did you know the closer you get to God, the more you realize that? You would think the closer you get to God, the better you'd feel about yourself. But actually, the closer you get to God, the more you despise the sin in you and just love Jesus. A woman came to me outside of Atlanta, Georgia a few months ago, and she was a kind church lady, and she was all dressed up for church, had her Bible and her journal and her Bible study pens, and you could tell this woman, she's sincere, buddy. She's serious about it, and she waited after church for a while, and I finished talking to some people, and she came. She said, I need to ask you a question. She broke out and started weeping. I said, what's wrong? She said, well, I need to know what's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. I said, what's wrong with you? She said, well, I've been praying and studying my Bible, and 
I've been in church, and she said, I feel like I've just opened my life up to God in a way I've never opened up before. And she said, something's wrong with me because the more of that I do, the more sin I keep seeing in my own life. What's wrong with me? And I said to her, and I didn't mean to belittle her at all, but I smiled and I said, congratulations. She said, what do you mean? I said, ma'am, the closer you get to the light, the more you're going to see the darkness in you. See, I don't think that you ever get fully right with God until you see truly how wrong you were to start with. And so, number one, God shows me my need. It's mercy. Number two, he shows me my nature. It's sin. Number three, now we're really getting personal. You ready to get personal with God? He shows us our nakedness. Nakedness? Oh, yes, that's exactly what he shows us. He shows us that no matter how you dress things up, he knows the bare truth about you. Look at verse number 4. He says, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. David says, you see the naked truth. By the way, notice this. In verse 3, he says, my sin is ever before me. But when you get to verse 4, he realizes it's worse than that. It's ever before God. Look, you may think you see it, but even you don't know how bad it is. God sees you for what you really are. Read on in verse 4. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. And then he has this thought under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Wait a minute. How did you come out of your mother's womb? Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. Right? Watch this, please. God saw you when you entered this world with nothing but your naked soul, and as surely as God saw you then, guess what? God sees you now. You may be much older, have much more experience, and much more Bible knowledge, but the reality is God sees you as you truly are. Watch this. God has always seen you, and God sees you now. And David, when you walked out on that balcony that night and saw that woman bathing on top of her house, and you had a servant go send for her, I saw you. And David, when you connived to kill her husband, I saw you. And David, when you lied to cover it up, I saw you. I cannot think of anything more sobering and thought-provoking than this, that God sees every one of us. And see, here's the danger. When you come to Psalm 51, somebody says, well, that's a psalm for adulterers and murderers. That's not me. Hold on to your seat just a second. The truth of the matter is, did you know there's a heart of adultery and murder in every one of us? Because Jesus said, if you simply look on somebody to lust after them, you've committed adultery already in your heart. And if you're full of hatred and wrath and anger, you've got murder in your heart. But let's say, let's say for argument's sake, that even that's not true of you. Congratulations if that's never been true of you. But even if that's not true of you, may I say this to you? Psalm 51 is not a psalm for adulterers and murderers. Psalm 51 is a psalm for sinners. Are you a sinner? Then if you're a sinner, friend, it's for you to remind you of your need and your nature and your nakedness before a holy God. Hold your place here. Everybody hold your place here. Go to Hebrews with me real quick. Let me show you something God says in the New Testament about this same truth. This is convicting. Look at Hebrews chapter number 4, verse number 12. We love to quote, but I'm going to read through verse 12 and in the next verse. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Think of this. Look, everybody look up here just a second. 
When you come under the Word of God, you come under God's x-ray machine. Don't you know God sees a lot better than you do? And He shows you the, the cancer of your soul, the leprosy of your heart. You're under God's x-ray machine. But then, watch, that same word serves as the scalpel to do surgery. It is the sword that cuts deep, that severs things, that digs things out that shouldn't be there. Read on, look at verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are what? Naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Watch, God says, I see you. Now go back with me to Psalm 51. Let me show you something very interesting. In verse number 4, God sees me. In verse 5, he's always seen me. But in verse 6, he wants me to see me. Look at verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. God wants you to see your sin for what it is. God wants you to see your sin as against him. Last week I was preaching in another part of your great state. I was on the other coast. I was preaching from another portion of the Bible, totally different theme in the meeting. But during the meeting, I started just thinking about sin and how awful it is in my life, not the people I was preaching to in my life. And I started just meditating on it. And you know what I came to realize in a fresh way is that my sin in every way is against God. I could, I could be critical of you, but that's against God. I could lust after something, but it's actually against God. I could be angry at a circumstance, but it's actually against God. Until you see your sin is against the Lord himself. It is a sin against love, perfect love. It is a sin against the God who slaughtered his son for you. It is a sin against law, God's perfect holy law. It is a sin against light. I know better, but I do it anyhow. All sin is against God. God wants us to see how desperately we need Jesus. And you don't need him one day, you need him every day. And you don't need him just to escape hell, friend. You, you need him here and now. See, God didn't just save you from something, he saved you for something. And I'll remind you, Psalm 51 is not the prayer of a lost man, it's the prayer of a saved man. In fact, the man after God's own heart. And may I say, if a man like David, as close to God as he was, needed to repent of his sin, I guarantee you all of us do. And so what must we do? We must begin by getting personal with God. In a few minutes, I'll pick up this same thought. But God not only wants you to see it, God wants you to say it. God desires truth in the inward parts. God wants you to say about your sin exactly what he says about it. And <laughs> we don't like to do that. What we like to do is excuse it and call it by other names. But God says truth. Look, you should know the truth and the truth shall what? Right, only the truth can set a man free. And it's only when you call your sin what God calls it that God says you can be free. It is only when you bring your darkness into his light and walk in the light that God says you can be free of your sin. So if you want to get real and get personal with God, then you're going to have to see yourself like God sees you and say about your sin what God says about it. I'll leave you with one simple thought. Everybody look at verse 5 and verse 6. What are the first two words of verse 5? Behold, I. Behold means look. Look, I. What are the first two words of verse 6? Behold, thou. 
David says, I look at me and I look at him. I look at him and I look at me. You know what that is? That's getting personal with God. It's removing all secondary causes and all peripheral people and circumstances, and it's getting it down to just me and the Lord. It's just me and the Lord, and I'm going to challenge you this week to do this very thing. Get it down to just you and the Lord. It was old Brother Lawrence that said, I am never out of God's holy presence. And I want to report to you this morning, at this moment, we are in God's holy presence. Now, whether we acknowledge that or not, that's another issue entirely. Whether we admit it or not, that's another issue entirely. But at this moment, you are here just like you are, and God, the holy God who never changes, is here at this moment. And if we want to see God do what only God can do, we must begin by getting personal with God. I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes with me for just a moment. This is just an entry point. That's what it is into the psalm. And I trust an entry point into our lives. It's a beginning place. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, in fact, I'd like you to close your eyes so tight you can't see the person to your left or right or in front of you. And I want you to imagine for just a moment that there's no one in this room right now but you and Jesus. No one. Not even this preacher. Did you know that's what it will be like someday? Just you and Jesus. When you stand at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of your life, I want to tell you, it's going to be real personal that day. It's not going to be you and the family, you and the church, you and a group. It's just going to be you and the Lord. And if that's the way it's going to be someday, would you let it be that way today? Would you say to the Lord right now, Lord, I need you? Would you tell him right now, Lord, I need you? Speak to me. Help me. Show me my need. Could we all agree on this prayer? Would you take just the first line of Psalm 51 right now and make it your prayer from your heart to God? Would you say something like this quietly? Have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy upon me, O God. Lord, speak to us. Use your word. Thank you for this simple truth this morning that's so obvious and yet so rich and wonderful. O God, help us. To get our eyes off everybody and everything and on Christ alone. And may we know fresh mercies this morning. And thy loving kindness in the morning. And may you allow this meeting to become a new beginning for people in this room. We praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name.